With the help of you too, of course. <laughs> we all have to do it. Mm-hmm. And we will do it. I, I have confidence. Whenever I talk to you, Drew, and of course, listening to you, Trevor, on the podcast, it's this little extra le- layer of, of thinking that we're attempting to do that's really going to make all the difference, I think. And I want to thank the listeners for being interested in this journey, too. And I hope that each of the listeners is attempting to not settle for what has been the status quo in the classical music world for so many years and are saying to themselves, even though this has been the way, this is not the way it's going to be in the future. And we're going to be the writers of that destiny. Bars. All right, Faking Fam, let's rise up and take the capital. <laughs> no! No! No, <laughs> oh, God! Oh, God! That's where, you're, that's where you're going with that, right, Nathan? We're going to overthrow the government? <laughs> Edit that shit out! Welcome, everybody, to the Faking Notes Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thems and theys, welcome. Today, a very special guest, another blast from the past, Mm. Nathan Chan. The Nathan Chan. Okay, so this conversation, we at first thought we were going to talk about bucket list items, but it really went down many rabbit holes, mostly due to like why we talked about what it means to be a musician coping with the craziness that was 2020 and is continuing to be 2021. Nathan's already found a lot of success uh, in the classical music world. He is currently assistant principal cellist with the Seattle Symphony, um, but also throughout his whole journey, he's been super diversified, dual degrees, going to Columbia, YouTube, TikTok, you name it. He's been around the block and he's always been interested in being well-rounded, Uh, as a person and a musician. And Nathan contains multitudes. He brings a lot of seriousness to what he does and also a lot of joy. He's he's wonderful to talk to, and he's going to be a big factor in the future of classical music. Oh, he's going to be one of the pillars. He's going to be a centerpiece. And if you really listen to this conversation, uh, especially towards the end where he shares an anecdote uh, and even a video of him as a four-year-old conducting the first movement of uh, Beethoven's Fifth, you you kind of are sent on this understanding, this journey of understanding that Nathan Chan is an inevitability and he's a force of nature and he's always been one of my biggest influences and inspirations. So happy to have him. And I know you're going to get a ton of value from this episode. Enjoy. Podcast is already going, baby. You're kidding. This is what it is. Let it roll. Wow. This, this is, is what pod. it's like. Pot is wow. here. Wow. Nathan Chan. Nathan Chan Shell. Nathan Chan in the house. Welcome to the Faking Notes Podcast, Faking brother. Podcast. How you doing? What's up, Drew and Trevor? This is a, a huge pleasure, a huge honor. I am finally faking it. Notes. <laughs> 
and podcast style with you two boys. I am I'm living the life. I've made it. Mom, I'm on taking notes. Well, we know this is a big day for you, Nathan, and we're just happy we can, you know, fulfill your dreams and your wishes, which is actually what we'd like to talk to Thank today you. about bucket lists. So this is this is probably the biggest check off of your bucket list. Everything else is just a little bonus. Absolutely. It was right at the top. <laughs> right at the top, my friend. It's only downhill from here, Nathan Chan. Uh, <laughs> I I wanted to start, Nathan, but first, like, for real, we are in 2021. Mm, happy new year uh, happy new year bro happy not how are you feeling man um i am Genuinely. feeling i was feeling good until a couple of days ago when mm-hmm. we had a little siege on the capital um <laughs> wait what other um <laughs> 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 uh, but otherwise you know 2020 kind of felt like a holding pattern you know when you're Stuck on a plane, you're trying to land at LAX, and they just keep circling you, man, right? It's like, I just want to go home to my nice bed, unload, take off my shoes, and, 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 and just, you know, really do what I need to do on the ground. Uh, and 2021, symbolically, I know people are saying is different, but at the same time, we all know that life is a hustle. And so in, in, a, in a way, I've been preparing for this transition all 2020. I know that metaphorically, 2021 isn't that different. And uh, I've been trying to set up systems in which I can succeed to the best of my ability in this year. Can we talk a little bit about those systems? Absolutely. For me, it's been a a big shift in mindset in terms of what I can call my foundation, Mm. both in terms of my career, financially, socially even. It's been a a year in which one has to reconsider what we take for granted. And because of that, I've been trying to noodle around and set up Things in which I can see myself succeeding, not in the way I originally was, if I'm going to be very broad. Yeah. Specifically, I need to, or I have been working on ways in which my music can reach and find different ways of success outside of just my job, mm-hmm. uh, which is at the Seattle Symphony. And so, that's sort of been the, the the big picture. Bro, that's got me so excited because what you said actually uh, is reflective of kind of something Julia Choi, friend of the pod that we had yes, recently. Yes, I listened to that podcast. Yeah, bro. She was saying something similar with the Met musicians that she has conversations with on her podcast where, you know, when you get to a point of proficiency and, and, and you get it dialed in and your systems of being an orchestral musician dialed in, you start asking like, what's next? What else can I do? Mm-hmm. So uh, is that something you would like to talk about or is it kind of in the primordial stages? Like, is there something that like, because we hear that Figgy Notes podcast, we're really trying to uh, give value to our audience and really giving them as many different menu items as possible so they can choose maybe a different life path than, mm-hmm. uh, or, or, or have multiple life paths. And uh, these conversations really illuminate those things. So if you could hone in on like one thing 
that's been transformative in your life? Can you point to it? Um, I think my strengths as a, as a human being have always been in the fact that being a well-rounded person has been a central core principle of who I am. Um, as you both know, you know, I didn't just go to conservatory for school. I, I, I did this double degree thing and in sub subconscious way, I, I think that was a, a, a putting a stake in the ground that, you know, life is quite complex and yes, it's important to focus on singular things in order to really execute them at the highest level possible. But at the same time, one must also have this sort of zoomed out lens where you're always asking yourself, how does this fit into the general larger society? Um, so I always knew that entering music, the musical field was such a, you know, profoundly specific thing. But at the same time, I was interested in so many other things. In order to really achieve what I want to do here on this earth, I want to be really great at music, of course, but I also want to make sure that what I'm doing with music is making the most impact on the people around me. And so it's required this double thinking of, yes, you want to be great at, at your instrument, but it also is so important to realize what you're doing with the instrument and how you apply that skill that you're practicing, you know, so many hours a day. How is that going to affect everyone else? And that's why, you know, I feel talking to you both, we all have a little bit of this sort of mentality already where playing notes at the right time as beautifully as possible. <laughs> and on occasion, the wrong time. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> that only gets you so far in life. It's how you set up those notes and why you play them and how you play them and for whom you play them. That really is the key to success, I think. I mean, these are beautiful words from a beautiful human. So th thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, Nathan, I think what's kind of like interesting about this is like we've always you've been a de facto faking fan member for the, so long, but only officially now. Uh, but oh, oh. <laughs> but you're a car check. carrying member now, yeah, bro. Now so. it's, oh, well, it'll, it'll come in the mail. It'll be got mail. You, yeah. you. Yeah. Am I the executive uh, platinum member or am I just the gold? <laughs> you got to work yourself up to that. Jeremy okay. Jones is the only executive platinum. member. If you bring on so 10 more members and they bring on 10 more members, you know, as part of the fake, you know, I think I've game. heard somebody <laughs> tell me to do that before. It's kind of like a triangular shaped. It's like, it seems like for all three of us, a big part of our life has been, this diversification of interest, kind of having music be a core component, but just that, a mm -hmm. component. There mm -hmm. is more to it. And then if we can bring our music elsewhere, great. If we can do something extra musical, great. But what also excited me about, for instance, Julia Choi podcast, since it was so recent too, is like that's someone who, if you had asked Drew or I, she was my TA. <laughs> she was a, uh, I saw her multiple times a week uh, at Juilliard and she you know, seemed incredibly focused, incredibly dedicated, incredibly hardworking, really ironed in on this on this thing, violin, trajectory towards the Met. And she's achieved it, cup runneth over, and now she's going out doing podcasts, doing all these other super interesting things. So what was kind of like at least inspiring for me is that so many people have taken different paths. So many of our colleagues have been dead set on something else. And then like either because of this pandemic or 
I really do believe like Julia, for instance, she'd have been doing this probably anyways, regardless of the pandemic. It was just kind of like an accelerant. It is inspiring and fascinating to see all the different ways we can kind of get to this diversity of interest and contribution. And like what you said, kind of dawns on us all that it's not really just right notes, right place, right time. It's why notes, why time, why place. Mm -hmm. You've been doing this for years. So will you just briefly elaborate on this dual degree situation? You know, growing up, I always considered playing the cello as sort of a hobby, to be honest. You know, I never really thought of it as a career. Because I think growing up, you're sort of veiled by this innocence and uh, joy of it all in which you're playing an instrument and, you know, it, it really does speak to you and it means a lot to you, but you're not exactly quite sure how it will manifest itself in one's life. And because of that, you know, I always placed academics uh, extremely importantly in my life, you know. It was always this juggle between finishing your homework, getting good grades, and also, you know, doing the best I could in, in cello. And because of that, I think I became accustomed to this sort of juggle of life in that, you know, I, I, I didn't, you know, a lot of people, when they get to that point, uh, they end up getting homeschooled because they sort of really focus in. And I, I really, I mean, that's amazing, but that just wasn't for me. And so I felt that mindset continue to occur even as more and more opportunities arose for myself as a musician. It wasn't until sort of in the middle of college where I saw, you know, uh, at Columbia, there were all these other people that were so amazing at what they did. And I realized, you know, what they were doing is kind of what I felt and how I felt about music. And I like to explain this experience as kind of, kind of analyzing the, the market response to what one does in life, you know? You do projects, you do things, and it's always important to take a moment to look back at the things you do in life and ask yourself, you know, what kind of an impact did it have on the people around me? And how did it make me feel? And it, to me, it felt like music was bringing me greater joy and also impacting people more positively than perhaps anything else I was interested in doing. And then I made this decision where, you know, in order to really maximize the amount I could do if I chose to do music, then I would really have to go 3,000% into it. And that's when I was like, okay, I drop everything and I'm going to practice my freaking butt off. And that's sort of where I feel like I became the Julia Choi. Uh, <laughs> and I, Become I became tunnel vision. And I think it's important in your analysis of these situations that you need a little bit of this, this tunnel vision, in order to really reach a level where you're comfortable to go broad, which is something that's so important. I Whoa. think what happens is... Sometimes we get broad and then we don't feel we have the confidence to, to, to really go broad in a meaningful way. It's only after you've experienced this sort of focused part where you become that, that really, you know, concentrated type of person, then you can start to 
diversify your investments into different kinds of things in life because you've made that initial investment and the foundation is so strong. And so that happened for me in college. So you house hacked your life. (laughs) <laughs> I attacked my life kind of right you know what I mean Yo, that's beautiful yeah. like with cello yeah. yeah I love that and it's really putting a nice bow on what we've talked about almost for two years on this thing is mm. as part of that journey like it's it's the river sometimes the river gets like nice focused and what happens when you take that water and you condense it in a smaller thing the speed increases um, mm, but mm, mm-hmm. sometimes it's breadth. It diverges. It comes along. But in the end, that water is trying to get to the ocean. So, I love that. You know that, that Bruce Lee quote oh, yeah. about water? It floats. Oh, shoot, I got it. You're going to have to edit this together. Wait, let me look it up because oh, no, it's, it's a freaking sick. No, it's great. I love it. I make he the guests look like, smart. I make when the it, guests when look smart. When you put water in the bottle, it becomes a bottle. When you put it in the vase, oh, it becomes God. the vase. Oh, when you got it. Yeah, it, it's like something like when it, when it, it can, water can flow and then it can also crash. Be more like water, my friend. Dude, I love Beautiful. Bruce Lee. Legend. He's the bomb. I love Bruce Lee. For instance, the conversation uh, with Julia was just kind of like that enlightening thing, too, to where you can change, you can evolve, and you can have your cake and eat it, too. I would have just assumed if you talked to me a year ago, how do you get to the Met? Oh, you get very, very good. You do this thing, and like, that's your life. Like, you are mm-hmm, full on mm-hmm, dedicated. Mm-hmm. You're an athlete. 100%. But yet, I keep bumping into all these counterexamples. I keep hearing about Met musicians because of all the other cool shit they're doing. Real estate, audition hacker, makeup, you know, podcasts, like all these other things. I'm like, oh, damn it, if I had known, I would have like gotten a lot better at music too and then also diversified. <laughs> but it is just really inspiring. It's to, to see where we can bring that from. And I think one of the things we, we've talked about a lot that you just really hammered home, Nathan, is that there is a lot of value in learning how to get good at something. And that's why so many kids are sent into to, and that excel in sports and excel in music. Why, if you're going to be a good athlete, they might throw you in a music class or vice versa. If you're going to be mm. a good musician, go out and play some sport is because just learning how to get good, both of those professions, so to speak, are great at that. It's all about finding that extra gear, evolving, analyzing, improving technique. And so I think we're very fortunate that we got the music bug at some point or just kind of fell into it because it's at least given us a model for how to get good elsewhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that you say that you said that so well. And I think that's one of the best things about music is it really teaches you to persevere on that journey. Because I think music has so many mental hurdles when you're on that path and Learning how to fight those urges to give up or quit is one of the strongest uh, toughen things that can toughen uh, a person up. And so I'm, I'm thankful that we've all had that experience. I'm curious, Nathan, because that's yes. really interesting you say that. <clears throat> Do you have... In an instance in your career or in your development as a cellist where you really hit like a brick wall and you had to contemplate whether or not this was for you, would you be, would you be, uh, would it be okay if you shared something like that? Cause I think that would be really valuable, um, and relatable to a lot of people. Absolutely. Um, I can think I, there's a general, uh, 
moment that I, 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 I like to call to attention to. And, you know, it was, I have to thank my parents for it because there were moments growing up where I did not like the work that was needed to be put in in order to become great at this craft. And my mom, she was very smart. She said, <laughs> you know what? You, my mom, Rena Ling, shout out Rena Ling. Shout out. Uh, she said, you know what? You can do whatever you want. Once you're 18, you can quit. Once you're 18, you can quit the cello if you want. And I said, I swear, <laughs> the day I turn 18, I'm going to quit. You watch me. You watch me, mom. And then sure enough, when I was 18, I, I just kept going. Be- <laughs> yeah. But I think the, 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 the purpose of saying something like that is too often we, we think about uh, these moments in such small, short-term kind of thinking. Uh, it, it takes someone either that has the wisdom already, often, we don't have that or someone who has more wisdom than us that can, you know, sometimes uh, in, infer this t- to us to say that it's kind of like a, a stock ticker, you know, it goes up and down, but in general, the trend always goes up. And when you're in, you're, you're stuck in the trenches and you're heading down, it feels like crap, mm-hmm. but it's only when you take a step back and you, you just have to zoom out a little bit, I think, when, when you have moments like that. Um, okay, so that's the general general moment. Let me see if I can think of a, a specific moment. Um, when I killed a man. <laughs> <laughs> I killed a man with this thumb. With this thumb, with my, with my right thumb. Can I, before, uh, yeah. while you're thinking about that, I wanted, something came to mind because mm. you read David Goggins' Can't Hurt Me, right? Yes. Oh my God. On Bro. your recommendation. Bro. And and read I'm still read. getting through uh, "Never Split the Difference" by Chris Voss. I absolutely that was one of the best gifts ever, book. bro. Thank you so much. Oh no, it was a pleasure. Shout out, yeah, faking fam. Nathan bought me a book, dude. Like, so if Knowledge. you really want to, bro, if you want to get together and like tell your friends you really love them, buy them books. Like that really can change their life. Uh, in in David Goggins' book, he talks about. You know how when he's, he's like one of the most disciplined people ever. He's an ultra marathoner. And even he says, man, sometimes I sit and I stare at my shoes for like 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, I don't want to go running. And, and, and when the moment you don't want to do it is the moment you need to do it the most. It's kind of like what you said with stocks and, and ticker symbols. Like investors tend to say, when stocks go down, you should buy because they're on sale, especially if you believe in the product. And I think that if you view yourself as a product, when you're down, you need to double down on yourself because then eventually when you get through the hardship, the the gains are going to be massive and you're going to be so thankful that you pushed through. So thank you for highlighting that. And I just didn't want to let that get away. No, that's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing to say. Um, I like the idea you say about working even harder when you're feeling worse about yourself. And I think uh, that's definitely something that I needed to be trained to do. And it only was possible when I was given the tools to really understand how to improve myself. Mm. Mm. Practicing for me has been a very interesting evolution in 
self-analysis and um, critical thinking, of course, but also just sort of being really specific about what I don't like about how I sound and knowing how to fix it. Mm. Knowing how to fix something is probably the greatest skill one can teach another person. And even now when I, I, I've had this wonderful experience in these last couple of years to finally get uh, more deeply uh, involved in education and teaching and, and have some wonderful cello students. And I've made it a really important goal because the teachers that made the most impact on me in my life didn't just fix things for me, but gave me the tools and how to fix it. And I think that probably going back to your last point about struggles, perhaps the reason why one struggles is they don't know the path out of a struggle. But when you give someone the tools in order to get out of a struggle, then you're, you're Gucci. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of, I don't, I don't remember the exact phrase, successful people. It's, how well they can like understand <laughs> that's faking those podcasts, bro. Come on, that's what, on like, brand. You do great success, and to to some degree, like that's what whatever the correct way to phrase that thing is. We're learning from, and I think as we're getting older, we're kind of seeing that and getting wiser. I I hung out with mm-hmm. also faking fam, a friend uh, John Hong yesterday, and we were talking about John. John shout outs faking fam. Uh, but talking about similar things, like finally realizing that we don't have to get good at every single thing we don't have to know everything it's okay to like move forward but what Mm -hmm. we are learning is how to better overcome failure and how to better learn from these failures so that it doesn't hit as hard and that we can actually use that failure to propel us forward wow i'm i'm curious to ask you both trevor and drew what what are some examples of these types of cataclysmic moments where you could either choose to wave the white flag or fight on? I, uh, I'm, mm. I'm curious. Starting a podcast. Can I? Can, <laughs> can I? Yeah. Well, yeah, bro. Whoa. For real. Whoa. Can you expand on that, Trevor? Okay. So first, I was joking. Two. It's true. Um, <laughs> two. No, no. It's actually true. And uh, I and I've talked about it a number of times, like on air, off air, but with Drew, like one of the big saviors was this podcast. I moved out to LA from New York. I gave up a lot in New York. I loved what I was doing in New York. I was teaching. I was doing all these cool projects. And I kind of stripped it all away and it came to LA. And I was sad for a long time. And it's something else that we all kind of learn as musicians is that we're often sad when we forget the why. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's not about the money or necessarily like what we're doing as a, as a job or whatever. But I kind of lost sight of the why. And what it actually brought me joy. Well, yes, I love awards. Like I like money. I like success and praise and all the other things. Um, but what I, I like more than music, more than making music, more than composing, I like collaborating and talking to people and thinking about music. Um, I'm not a huge lover of the process. I'm trying to re-fall in love with the process. But what really brings me joy is conversations like this and interacting with people. And so, and the refocus has been on trying to stick to the North Star of the why, having genuine connections with people and trying to have some like active service through music. And the the kicker was this podcast because it started off with what I love, conversations, hanging out with Drew, 
hanging out with friends. And since that, got a lot, a lot more friends, uh, worked with some of the people who've come on the pod. It's, it's been a nice kind of clear saving grace for me. And then I hope it can help other people uh, who've listened in, who can at least relate to that. And maybe, like we said, passing down um, wisdom. But basically, like when they hit kind of their darkest night of the soul, hmm. that they too can be like, here's an example. We've had, what, 30 plus 40 people on this show? Like all 40 of them at some point in the episode have talked about the darkness and what they did to overcome it. And I think just not feeling as lonely. I was in LA surrounded by the most populous county in the world, but I was alone because I didn't leave. And so this pod got me out of that. Well, actually, Drew came over to my place, so I didn't really leave. But uh, <laughs> Drew brought people into my, into my cave, and it kind of just reopened the world uh, up to me. Drew is really good at that. Shout outs. Shout outs to Drew. Shout outs to the podcast. What, what did I do, bro? I, I want to say something about both of you. Trevor, I feel the same way. And honestly, this is the happiest I've been in like maybe two weeks, uh, barring hanging out with uh, a special someone. I, I, I've been very lonely. Winton's not here. Mindy's never here. My, Jonathan's not here. I've just been in the house by myself. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to spend a lot of time just sitting with myself. And I realized, yeah, I have trouble being alone. I have trouble being like physically alone hmm. and being disconnected from people. And I think that's why I really, really hated being on, being on a cruise ship. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm on a cruise ship again, except with internet, which isn't good because then I just like <laughs> <laughs> and then like no, I hey, just, at like, least the internet's TV. faster. No buffet, <laughs> so much faster and cheaper, much cheaper. I, I want to highlight Trevor. Yeah, over the past you know couple of years of doing this podcast, talking with you has really helped me become a better listener. Um, I, I was not a very good listener. I'm still working on it, but you've really taught me how to be a great listener. You've taught me how to really be comfortable with challenging my ideas and, 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 and accepting new information uh, and amending my ideas for my own benefit. And Nathan, you, Nathan, me? yes. When we did our hello collaboration, that was a, profound pivot in in my life's path i don't think you understand that really bro the many hours i think we spent we spent like over 24 hours total in that juilliard recording studio and it was because you and i had this weird flow of energy where we didn't accept anything but our very best when it came to phrasing when it came to i learned so much about phrasing on that project with you. We were listening to Adele and running it back over and over and over and tracking her airspeed, really tracking how she sang it. And we tried to emulate that with our instruments. I took that lesson with me with for every gig that I ever had, every performance, every project. I still take those lessons with me from that project, man. And that's why I love what I do. And I miss doing it because we get to get together with each other and we teach each other. Mm-hmm. And then by communing and making projects together, we become better people, better artists, and we affect more people. And so both of you uh, have been pivotal collaborators in my life. And I just wanted to give you your flowers, man. Wow. Since we're getting all gushy. <laughs> Yay. That's a wonder. You know, to be honest, we've never really reflected on a deep philosophical level on our hello cover of uh, by Adele. I would l- 
if let's if do possible. it can we can we just talk take some time and talk about it because you know masters flew by so quickly and when i think back on my masters i think a lot about that video because it really was something very special i think because you know uh, just to to give some context to the listeners we were part of an entrepreneurship class and this was sort of the end of semester project we needed to do something big a lot of people created a sort of a business plan for something that they could do with with music and what we wanted to do was something a little bit different you know wasn't exactly a business plan but it was simply to use the tools at our disposal and the community around us and you know uh Drew, your your immense talent and create something really special that I think could stand the test of time. And you know, I I I remember going into my masters and the first time I met Drew, what a amazing kind of presence you would take when you entered the room. I think immediately I would just say, Wow, this guy is is a confident guy and you know. He's feeling good about himself. He he looks really happy to be here. And that's something you don't often see a lot at a place, sometimes especially at Julia. Everyone's so self-critical. Everyone's figuring themselves out. But here was a guy who was really happy and proud to be here. And that's something I immediately recognized. And I said, you know what? I really respect that because we should feel proud to be here. We should feel happy. This is a really cool moment in our lives. And here's the only guy in the room that I think is really embracing that. I felt really lucky that, you know, we both were in this entrepreneurship class. And we, I remember you approached me and said, let's, let's do something really special. Let's do something really cool. And I was like, I'm down. And so <laughs> I remember we planned this video out to the T because it was not just about creating the music. We thought about everything. We thought about the timing of when the song was releasing. We went out into the Big Apple to film this big, ambitious video. And for me, it was very, you know, it was larger than anything I'd ever done. We had our wonderful colleagues uh, like Yejin and mm. Yejin Choi and, mm. of course, Ken Kubota helped us a lot. Nathan um, Prilliman on the Masters. Shout out yes, to Nathan. He helped so much. It was really the community coming together for something, you know, we we have to thank all those people because without them, that project wouldn't have been possible. But I think I remember the, f- the first time we showed the video in that um, entrepreneurship class and just the whole room, the jaws dropped. <laughs> you remember that? I remember that. It was magical, bro. That and then cool. and then the audacity of our professor be like, this is nice, but this isn't a business. I was so pissed, <laughs> bro. I was so pissed, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna go on the record, Nathan. That's some bullshit. That was oh! totally, that was totally a business, and you flipped it because you, you realized, oh, we could sell sheet music. That's true for this. Oh, this is Spotify. This is mm-hmm. brand equity. That is an investment. That is a business. So we are a business as our, as ourselves, as, as people. I, I get yeah. a kick out of that. I was, my comment was not being a member of that class. Oh, was that? I bet. <laughs> I have a strong hunch 
that the only people doing something remotely related to their business plan now is probably YouTube. <laughs> For whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Let's go! I'd, put, I'd invest in that. I'd, I'd take that bet comfortably. But um, I, something you said, it was stewing in my mind to say about you, Nathan. Um, but then you said it about Drew. And it kind of dawned on me. I always thought of you as just someone who contains joy, and but, but also contains multitudes. And mm-hmm. each of those multitudes are very deep because it's, you know, we will see someone who's like happy running around and we like, we know there's a lot going on. Uh, we know there's a lot of, of seriousness and particularly for you, you know, being well-rounded and the perseverance and overcoming. But just like what you said about Drew, I always kind of see it. And now it makes sense in both of you that while all of this is going on at, say, a Juilliard and like the toils of the career and life trajectory of an artist, Every once in a while, that joy pokes through. That doesn't always happen for like a lot of our colleagues. It is nice just kind of like hearing that reinforced and like looking back kind of on those moments of joy. Is there another particular moment in your life, maybe something more recent to where mm. it was kind of like a light bulb, a reminder that after all these years, 10 years after you could have quit, uh, <laughs> like 10 years after you were allowed to quit. Dang it, I missed the You're moment. still going. <laughs> What's a, what's a recent kind of aha, like, this is right, I am still doing this? That's a very good question. I feel like 2020 has been a test of finding those moments. Mm-hmm. But they mm-hmm. do exist. They do exist. And for me, I think they probably make themselves known the most. Well... I think lately working with younger musicians has been a really big joy for me. Um, seeing the, 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 the innocence of the love of music still, still persevering in 2020 and now 2021 is, is so important. Over 2020, I did, I was asked to speak a couple of times. And give master classes to some schools, as you know, many music teachers are now teaching over Zoom. It's so crazy trying mm-hmm. to teach an orchestra class, a chamber music program, anything like that over over Zoom. And and so, you know, luckily I've been asked to sort of be a guest speaker for some of these events. And I recently did one uh, at, for the Oakland Unified School District in in the Bay Area in California. Wow. And there is a master class and I it kind of made me forget about what's going on in this world seeing young musicians really, you know, pouring their heart and soul into a piece and really being really hyper aware of the kind of feedback I was giving. That brings me a lot of joy and it's it, it's like, you know, music inherently is such a great thing. It taps into an inner emotional side of everybody that's really hard to explain. And it just feels great. It just feels great to make music with, with other people. And to share that creation with other people is such a immensely powerful thing. And it's, it's so good for this world. Bro, have you, do you, are you, either of you familiar with Naruto? Hell yeah. I'm not. Naruto. Naruto. Do you, do you remember, do you, uh, did you ever get to, I've watched the whole series. Oh boy. But, yeah, man. Did you ever I get to not. the point where they talked about the will of fire? 
fill, fill, fill us in. So essentially, I'm not going to get into the lore, but they have a saying in the in Konoha, which is like the Leaf Village, which is like the main setting of of much of the story. And a lot of the adults, you 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 as the viewer are looking at the events of the world unfolding from the eyes and perspectives of the young Genin, the young ninja in training, right? You don't, you don't look at it from the adult's perspective. And you hear this thing being mentioned by the adults over and over and over. It's a cryptic phrase called the will of fire. And they always talk about it. We need to preserve the will of fire. We need to preserve the will of fire. And it's a, it's many, many times it's, it's a test and it's actually told through the eyes of Shikamaru, uh, from his, uh, teacher Asuma and Shikamaru keeps asking all the adults, what is the will of fire? I don't get it. And they say, you won't understand it unless you learn it for yourself. And my mom says that stuff to me all the time and I freak <laughs> out, but I'm going to cut to the chase. The will of fire is essentially the act of passing on the fire, the will of the will to live, love onto the next generation. And so when you're talking about like connecting with these kids and seeing the love of music, that fire, that passion, it's it's almost like it's it's like something that's beyond us as humans. It's like it's like a force that's outside of this reality that continually moves forward and we as teachers have the opportunity to kind of like pass what we were given from our teachers to teacher to, to the kids beyond us. And maybe we'll inspire them to continue to move it forward. Like that's, that's so powerful, man. Is that your why? Cause Trevor before said, you know, and I resonate with that because it's real. I lost my why and it made me depressed. Mm. Is that your why? Is that your why you still play your instrument or is it even bigger than that? Or is it uh, just a component? Um, I'm not exactly sure if it's the why I play, but seeing such a strong why in others reminds you of the why in yourself. Mm. So I don't think it's necessarily, oh, that's my why, but it's more like if they have that why and it's so inherent in them, Oh yeah, I have that too. I I had that. Or sorry, <laughs> I I have that. <laughs> but sometimes when you're in the grind of it all, you forget it. I think with that passing of the fire, it just reminds me of just really who who we are as humans and like how we've gotten to be this far. Uh, besides just like worrying about food, survival, hunger, to getting into language, to art, uh, to getting mm-hmm. into Zoom calls and podcasting, um, we've really <laughs> peaked. You know, we are really uh, we're ready for uh, interdimensional space travel after this. <laughs> but but something else about us um, that like why like education and this community is such a big point is like our whole species has survived and evolved because of community, like the evolution mm-hmm. of our ears. They're not great. Our eyes, we're only facing forward. We need a tribe to survive, uh, to look around, to hear people coming from other directions. You take this task, you take this task. And like that's how we get to propel ourselves. The Moderna vaccine, it was created in over a, a weekend, essentially. Days of vaccine. Well, yes, there's all years and years and years of research that led it up to that moment. We're just at an insane point of history that we can 
cure like a disease over the course of a football game. Uh, we just mm. had to test it for months and months and months. No one, we had no one, no one died on record of COVID by the time the vaccine was created in the United States. That's insane. Really? And like that kind of collective knowledge passing on down, who knows where we're going to be next? Who knows where we're going to have culturally and like on the art sphere by being able to pass down things? Like, I think that is a big part of the why. And I love how you phrased it too, Nathan, because I think I can resonate with that too in that I love seeing other people achieve their why. That's why a big part of my life has been education is because I know it took me a while to realize it. And I became a lot happier when I realized I'm not trying to be the best composer. I'm not trying to be the best performer. I'm not trying to be the best that I'm trying to just be the best person I can, (laughs) uh, that I can. But for those, when I interact with students, friends and colleagues, when their why might be that it brings me joy when, when we can help them get a little closer to it. So Absolutely. When you fulfill other people's whys, um, that that's an incredible source. So, like, thank you for phrasing it that way. I hadn't thought about it that way. Mm. Beautiful, yeah, man. Wonderful. Would you guys mind if we take a little pause? You guys should turn on the TV to Fox Sports because I think I'm going to be on the TV soon. Oh snap! Hell yeah, man. We'll just keep it rolling. Let's keep. Should we keep it rolling? Yeah, yeah. let's keep it rolling. Okay. Clap. Live. No, 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 no. We're good. Keep it rolling. Okay, I'll keep it rolling. You guys go on to the TV. I think it's going to be crazy cool. Man, we've done a lot. We're both very thankful for the wonderful fortune that we've acquired in our lives but I, I can't speak for anyone but myself but i found that like success doesn't make you happy like and 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 the definition of success changes with time it changes with people and it's it's not a, it's not a litmus test it's not a peak it's it's like this it's kind of like a fiat currency it's always <laughs> changing right mm-hmm. and so i'm I, i've been taking stock in quarantine because i've been alone and I was like, man, I never thought I'd get in a Juilliard. I never thought I'd get 100,000 subscribe, uh, f- followers on Instagram. I never thought I'd get verified. I never thought I'd like be able to play on the Grammys and like talk to and hang out with Ariana Grande. Like my life is getting kind of weird. And so it's important to always like check in with yourself. And every year I check in with myself. And mm. the past couple of years have been insane. And so I've been updating my bucket list to include things that aren't necessarily achievements uh, because I think that like the happiness of life comes from the pursuance, comes from the journey, it comes from the growth. It doesn't come from the achievement. And oftentimes the achievement is followed by depression. When I graduated Juilliard, I don't think I've ever been more depressed in my entire life. It was awful. I remember just like laying there being like, so you wake up the next day and you realize the earth keeps spinning, but like, this is only the beginning. <laughs> what now? So Nathan, like, do you have any, do you have any things on your bucket list that you would like to share? And we could just go once around and like, just talk about it. Sure. Um, so social media has always been a very interesting part of my life. I first began social media on YouTube uploading old concert footage that uh, my parents had recorded randomly 
at some of my performances. And then there was a big pivoting point where I started producing content for YouTube and I found the combination of, of, of music and beautiful visuals to be very fascinating and a great way to bring people into our world of classical music. And sort of that's been my philosophy on 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 social media is is this great way to bring people into the that are on the fringes of classical music in and for 2021 i really want to take my relationship with social media to the next level um i think now i really want to sort of leverage it and think of it more as almost a business in some ways and how i can really impact um what I do uh, for others and how others find value in the content that I create. And so um, that's sort of a big goal of mine. I, we can get more specific into that. I don't know what, what your thoughts are that, uh, about that are. Uh, what, yeah. what do you think about that? Bro, that's, that's, a, that's beautiful. It's, it's so funny how you like related, you started YouTube first and it was just kind of like, you putting up old concert videos. That's literally how I started too, man. It was just like, <laughs> ugh, let me put up like some, I, my Juilliard pre-screening tapes are on YouTube. Whoa. Like, yeah, dude. Yeah. I love it. Uh, and like uh, some of the recital clips from Juilliard. But I, I started getting so self-conscious about my playing, man. You hmm. know, one negative comment and it's just like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And so I'm, I'm currently combating that, but I love how you connected it. And you said it, you're looking at approaching it like a business because I've never approached it like a business. And I think that doing it in that frame allows you to have the opportunity to take the emotion out of it. And if you take the emotion out of it, it becomes much easier to act and do what needs to be done. So I really love that you, you said that. Well, maybe I would rephrase that a little bit. I I don't, I, I don't feel like I ever want to take the emotion out of social media because I feel it's so important to be as um, genuine uh, as possible on the platform because the moment I feel like the moment you you don't become genuine, people see that right through that, and it's not the same feeling uh, experiencing someone's content that's not you know really coming from what their core beliefs are. I guess maybe if I had to reword my phrasing a little bit is I want to be a little bit more strategic with my social media, Mm -hmm. a little bit more um, purposeful Mm -hmm. in the content I'm I'm creating. And um, so that the goals are really to take it more, take, become bigger than just sort of a sort of uh, side thing that, you post whenever you have free time into more of this core part of who you are and make it a bigger part of what it means to be for me as a musician. Maybe that's the way I want to put it. Um, I want to be able to more regularly uh, create things that reflect, that reflect how I am as a musician at a current state in time. If that makes sense. Yes. It's wow. like a video journal. It's like, it's like a, not a video journal, but a journal, mm-hmm. a, a moment mm-hmm. in time where you're time stamping your progression. And over time, it's, it's going to, you're going to be able to see the whole course and arc of somebody's artistic life. 
Mm-hmm. We're the first generation that's going to have that capability. And I think that's going to be incredibly profound mm-hmm. for the generations that come behind us. So kudos, bro. Well, I was just going to say, I feel like, you know, I enjoy being on podcasts like yours because I feel it helps clarify the philosophy in which I create the content that people see online. And I feel like that telling that story needs to be a bigger part of what I represent online, because I think nowadays more and more people are thinking not just of the, you know, the music, like we started this whole thing off, but the kind of work and effort and mentality that is all leading up to what someone sees online, perhaps. And people are interested in, I mean, if you think about it now, for almost every pop artist, like that's who's figured it out. The pop world's known this for a long time, that people are buying into the whole package, the experience, the who you are, almost more so than the music. We follow them as as people and as artists mm-hmm. and as ideas rather than just popping in the, the CD um, mm-hmm. and pulling up the Spotify playlist. And that's something that didn't really exist in classical. There's very few people where you kind of like follow their, their journey. I mean, Yo-Yo Ma is like fantastic and he's like much more open and we like love seeing the videos and things from him from his like young, young childhood. And like what a career, obviously, to continue to diversify, grow and be an inspiration. Uh, but even still, like you can probably count on it. We can count on our hand how many classical musicians um, do we buy into the idea of them and like know more about their life other than how well they play on stage and how many times they've performed at Carnegie Hall. Hilary Hahn's doing a great job doing a hundred day practice video challenges, like showing us like working wow. on like hall notes. Like you didn't see that from the old greats. And we never really saw that in time. We always saw that. Never. And it was taboo. It was, yeah, it was fact weird. To share it was that. You would never show your practice videos or put those up. It's, it's absurd. Uh, and like nowadays, like that's what we relish and what like makes us feel uh, more and more connected uh, to the artist. And so I think something for me, like on my bucket list, for instance, in, or just like what what is going to be changing for 2021 is uh, very much in line with what you said. And it's, it's not really, it's less so treating myself like a business, although I want to implement like business strategies, but it's also like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to take myself seriously. uh, Absolutely. In a good way that I probably haven't. It felt like I've just managed to profit off of a hobby uh, for a while. And we've joked Mm. before. It's just like, you know, if I was my own boss, I would have fired me a long time ago. And so it's like time to, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, it's like time to like implement things that we know are good. Or it'll, be, it'll be for a forgiving boss, but um, really to, to take things seriously. And a big part of that mm-hmm. is, yeah, not to remove emotion, but just to implement some strategies for the long term. So much of everything up to say this past year was kind of short term thinking uh, other mm-hmm. than building mm-hmm. general skills, getting general foundational things going where mm-hmm. I want to do. Uh, better is like a lot of things have been the first step. It's knowledge building. Um, it's, it's connection building. It's all these various things, but implementing and like executing is where I want to improve on, uh, to think a year ahead, three years ahead with all the various ideas I've got going on and to take them seriously, but like, no, you can do this. You can have a career in music. You can make money and be happy and provide something of value beyond monetary value uh, to the world. Absolutely. 
I want to kind of switch gears. I, I know we were going to try to talk about bucket lists and maybe we can like circle back to that. But this conversation is, is kind of sparking something in me and I want to, I want to kind of go extemporaneously into the future. So you, I remember you saying that, that schools have been hiring you to come and talk with their kids. I've been do, doing a lot of that as well, doing master classes and just speaking with kids and hearing, just answering their questions. MIT and Harvard. One question I started getting a lot, and I'm wondering if you've gotten it too, is- MIT and Harvard. Why do you like playing other genres? Like, what is it about other genres that is valuable to you as a player? And how can I get into doing it too? And I'm curious because you've done so many covers, not just with JHM Jams and me, but you even uh, did your own cover that I still love to this day. It was the Marion Hill Down. It's like more of an electronic pop type thing. And you even put the the electronic percussion in there. And I featured it in one of my Insta vlogs back in 2017 or so. Thank you once again. What, from your perspective, like, how would you answer that question? Like, what are the merits of studying other genres and incorporating that into your being? I think the power in exploring other genres is that it affirms your ability to communicate no matter the language. You know, mm-hmm. we say that music is a universal language. Why, in some ways, genres are sort of sub-languages within music, and it requires sometimes a little bit of different thinking, but for the most part, the intent comes from a similar place, no matter the genre. And I find that process fascinating. I always try and, you know, speak from the soul whenever I play different genres. And I feel um, that challenge is such an interesting process. Do you think it informs your classical playing? Like, and, and could you give an example of that? Like maybe understanding another genre, how it's like helped you in string quartet or helped you in your solo work? You know, if you had asked me that question some odd years ago, I would have said, yes, it's so great for classical music. But, um, you know, and I can't take entire the entire credit for this concept, but I I once was in a master class with Mike Block and he was asked a similar question and he had an interesting disagreement where he said, you know, playing other genres is not just good for classical music, but on its own, it's such a wonderful experience to really delve individualistically in different genres. And you shouldn't do a different genre to selfishly improve your classical ability. And I thought that was very interesting because I hadn't heard someone answer that question like that before. And it caught me thinking. And I, I feel I've, I'm starting to lean more into that direction where why not just treat it like its own individual thing and, and not have it be this thing where it improves your, your classical music ability. Because um, I think, I think he's, he's right, actually. I think there is something to be said about just treating it as its own thing and doing it to the best of its ability that doesn't have to always be intertwined with this long lost tradition, <laughs> this long tradition of music that we all studied so hard. I think that reminds me very much of Johan Lennox, a recent guest of someone who yeah. has not really even like hybridized the thing, which is a normal thing for classical musicians. Like what you kind of describe, we go out and we take and we kind of pull into that sphere that's kind of what i'll do with film music to where it is some type of like 
hybrid approach. But what he did was very much like what you described. He went fully into pop without the intention of, hey, I'm going to bring this back to classical music. I'm going to learn from pop to bring it back to my little space colony of contemporary mm-hmm. classical <laughs> music. He went and he's excelling in pop because he's treating it like pop. He's understanding it. He's fully involved. And the byproduct, the the bonus, the extra sauce on top is classical. And he is able to bring that back in knowledge. But it, it is that different type of approach is when he's in classical land, it's classical. When he's in pop land, it's pop. And he himself has that back history of his classical background. And that's his value added and expertise that he brings to pop. But he didn't go in there to change pop uh, and make it classical or to come back to classical and make it pop. Uh, he's just being himself, but uh, really hopping into the separate silos instead of melting pot. And like that, after conversations with him, it's changed a lot of my thinking uh, too, to some degree. And it's very much like what you just said. It's a really, yeah. it's really fascinating to think about. It's it's an interesting thought, and it kind of it frees you from the pressure of of uh, having to combine things in a way that feels right to you and also feels right to other because you can never please everybody if you think that way but if you you know if you are a little bit more confident in the separation then i if i feel it, it kind of frees you bro i i i've i've in my personal experience like as i've been doing more just even in la do more freelance work just doing other types of genres like now when i play bach and I, I, if you notice, I haven't really posted Bach in a little while and I'm actually going to start doing, I was talking to Winton he was like, bro, you should just like record a bunch of classical stuff and put it on Spotify and just call it. And I'm like, just but dude, it. people are not going to like it. I'm going to offend so many people because my experience of classical music is so different now. I have so many other tools and perspectives, even voicing wise or even sound production wise, which they they go in direct contrast to the baroque tradition and i don't know i'm what is your opinion on that because like personally i think the only reason to make another recording of something like bach is to play it differently is to play it the way you want to play it there we go because if you play it like yo-yo ma or you play it like tabea zimmerman why should they listen to your jank ass version like just go listen <laughs> to the be- like the famous super amazing person and so I'm wondering what your your opinion of that is, because like I really respect how you view music and I don't want to ever do something that will by and large harm the classical community and and and, and uh, misrepresent it. Mm. That's a very good question. Um, on the subject of recording, you know, prolific works for oneself, it's something I've never done. And it's probably... Something I would like to do, but only at a stage where I'm even more confident than I am no. right now. How much um, more confident you need to be, bro? Your assistant concert com- master, bro. Uh, Come on. <laughs> well, I feel, I feel it's something where you need this tunnel vision thing we talked about earlier in the show that kind of if you're going to have the balls to put your you know on the table and <laughs> say this is my recording of for example the Bach cello suites mm-hmm. 
you want to be at a stage in your life where you're not easily malleable for what your vision of that piece is. And I don't feel I'm at that stage mm. for a piece like Ba. Mm. I think when you study something more and you become more and more convinced yourself to a point where it becomes very difficult to change, I think that might be a good time in life where you could consider putting something like that out mm -hmm. forever. But in the meantime, with the beauty of social media, I think getting from that mindset, getting from your mindset now to that mindset is a wonderful thing that you should document. Mm -hmm. You should share that experience because that is something that people experience in their lives all the time. And they don't often get to see and people are always, you know, you have to give talks about that experience. <laughs> but now with technology today, why not we just show you that experience? Another idea, because why, why should you only have one recording of these masterworks? Oh, yeah. Right? yeah, of course. And so what I was thinking is like, maybe, maybe I start this year and then every decade, maybe update it. Why not? You know what I'm saying? This is 20, this is the 2020s version of like how I think about Bach. This is the 2030, 10 years later, 2040. That could oh be an interesting gosh. thing. I wish Yo-Yo Ma had done something like that. He did, kind of. Kind of? Really? He recorded the box suites, I want to say almost, the most recent time is this either third or fourth time, I want to say. Oh, we're, I, I listened to his exclusively. Like Glenn so. Gould is like another great example of just someone who, like the two, two of the most famous recordings of the Goldberg Variations. Or by him, one is he's young and he's singing along and like one is like much later in life and it's completely recording and you just see how different he approaches things with like tempo. I think it's like a 10 minute difference, like the whole, <laughs> piece, which is like insane. No, it's something insane like that, how different he that approaches it. And it's fascinating to see someone mm -hmm. who's like, was super successful early on and has like a full, full blown career and then circles back, um, to, to such a piece and record again. So, uh. Like I can kind of see like both of it, like um, these, these don't have to be mutually exclusive ideas and that, because if we're going to wait for that, that aha moment, it might, it might never come. And then we missed out an opportunity to share something great for someone else. That's true. So that, I mean, that reminded me uh, kind of going on, on with the idea of the future and what we're going to be doing different for this year and bucket list and all these things. It got, there's like a Mark Manson of subtle art of not giving a fuck a tweet. I screenshot it's, Goals are more useful for setting a direction than the actual achievement. Set them, work towards them, and give yourself the freedom to discard or change them when necessary. Absolutely. And for me, I've just I've been awful about releasing stuff because uh, it's the hamster wheel. I'm moving on to the next project. And then by the time it's time to go back and put that out there, oh, it's not as good. I want to keep moving on. And it's a disservice. Uh, to people who that might have added some value to or might have been interesting for them to listen to. Uh, and so maybe it is something in the beauty of this distribution age is that you're not going through a record label or someone else and you're maintaining control. Uh, you can pull that thing back off Spotify. You can reclaim it uh, if you want to or you just leave it up there and it's like, hey, I've evolved since then. You know, check out my 2030 Bach cello suites. Um, so maybe that's something that's a little different that as opposed to the older days where you had no control over that. And if you make that recording, it kind of becomes definitive. But nowadays, mm. if you want to with redact it, pull it down, post up the next thing. If you want to leave it up to display the journey, 
cool. We can kind of have our cake and eat I it, I love too. that. And one of the, the things I, I want to add to that is, well, there's always this weird notion by a lot of the, you know, the big social media gurus about it's more important to create than to focus on perfection. You know, we, we've all heard that, right? But then at a point, it makes, it's troubling for me in the, um, in the context of, say, recording a box suite where if you don't, f- I just feel like one of the traps I would fall into if I was recording is I would want it to be the best I could be at this point because I know it's going to be even better later, but I want it to, it's this concept of future-proofing. Mm-hmm. This is my philosophy also when I buy gear. Mm. I like to buy the oh, yeah. best thing I can buy now. So, and then I l- have it last as long as freaking possible. Like when I buy my laptop, everyone laughs at me because, you know, f- first of all, it's a Mac and I know it's overpriced for the specs, but I just, I just max out this thing. And then I have it last like Same. eight years. Same. Right. <laughs> right. Particularly with tech. It's like it. Yes, this might cost a thousand bucks now, but if it lasts two more years, that's it cost efficient. Mm-hmm. 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 How's that? Do you still have the Tesla? Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's the example. <laughs> I gotta ride that thing into the ground. <laughs> it might take a while too. So I know. It's nice. <laughs> How did you take the uh the Elon Musk uh one hundred sixty billion upswing? How how'd you oh. feel about that? It's insane. Well, uh, you know, I I feel lucky to have some Tesla stock, so I I I I'm 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 riding it to Mars. Shout out. Okay, <laughs> just get don't get on the Mars. shuttle, bro. Stay here, please. If you, yeah, if you, <laughs> you can play on the Mars Symphony. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Con, uh, <laughs> principal cellist, Mars Symphony. Mars Symphony. First that... musician on Mars. That would be cool. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that one. I don't. I don't want that. That's all you, you don't. That's a, I don't want that, bro. That'd they don't have Wi-Fi on Mars, bro. Come on. <laughs> they will. Don't Google worry. Fiber? It, it'll just take like t- thirty minutes to send like one frame. <laughs> oh my god! Upload. Yeah, you just text in your girl, and it takes six months. <laughs> it'll be the old school days when it's like. God. Yeah, it takes six months and like text back K. this is what i was waiting for (laughs) but speaking of yeah future and like future proofing are there things within besides objects microphones teslas and tesla stock what about like personal things or career decisions or skills that you've been learning that you feel are future proofing you that's a great good good question um so one of the things I've really been trying to hone in and perfect is the ability to create a concert remotely for people. Mm. So one of the things that I, uh, I love doing, actually, and it brings me back to my start in music, which actually was through conducting, is I mm. love making musical click tracks for projects that I'm collaborating with other musicians on. So if you've seen, and I'm sure all the listeners have seen, you know, those box and box videos where there's boxes on the screen and everyone's playing and it's a little bit misaligned and mm-hmm. it doesn't sound quite right. 
Well, I found the solution. I, I act like a conductor and I score study the crap out of a thing. And even when there's no, um, you know, retardandos or anything, based on the phrasing, I'll automate out a beautiful click track and I'll play it back and I'm like conducting to myself. Oh, yeah. And I'm singing the line. And then I have people record to that. And then after I get that back, I use the magic of flex time and I just really put everyone so the ensemble fits really beautifully. And I think the audio, the ending, the end product is quite you know, convincing in terms of, uh, some of the, you know, the, the end result, I I don't think anyone could tell it's, you know, recorded separately with the normal, you know, micro adjustments missing that we often do when we're live, you know, nowadays with technology, you can fix that. And so that's sort of a, a skill that I've been honing and I maybe would like to turn it into a business for folks that, you know, want to put together projects, especially in the classical of classical nature because you know that's my strength and I feel I understand it very well and so I've sort of been learning how to do this and I I actually um recently did a a a concert that was supposed to be canceled and we presented to the presenter a alternative to create it virtually and we used green screens this click track method and uh you know we recreated the concert so that it looks like we're on the same stage and mm. That's sort of an interesting skill that I've been working on uh, over the past year or so. Well, if you need an investor or some sort of like uh, pro- like somebody to help you with this project, bro, I want to get in on that because you know this market is wide open. Acapella is does not cut it, dude. Like it, there's a market failure. And there's a huge demand for this, bro. So uh, thank you, fam. If you're listening, call Nathan Chan if you have if you have any coding experience or any <laughs> managerial experience. We need to make this happen. Here's some free value added, Nathan. So like that's like mm, a super please. useful skill. And I just wanted to clarify like to the audience specifically. The click, it's the metronome that goes along. One of the faults, like what he's mentioning about, is that not every song is like locked in on the grid. Almost the beauty of it is how it flexes, how it ebbs and flows. And this is something we deal a lot with in film music. It's a huge thing because when that film's locked and the car jumps off the cliff and it's about to explode, you better hit that that cliff jump uh, right on the mark. And so we have to get really fancy with our click tracks in order to make things align. And then you bring in a real musician and you get him in the room. And actually one of the beauties, it's a lot more work on the engineer's side but one of the, the beauties of recording remotely is that control. You can really make it perfect. And Drew's done a bunch of this. David, you've done a bunch of this. Uh, the free thing that I've done with some films, um, that extra sauce, Nathan, I'll make it profitable, is uh, I did this one film project, and it was for like BMI's film scoring program. And mm. it, at the end of the project, you have to rescore Zodiac, a scene from Zodiac. And so it's very dissonant. It's a string quartet. Um, it's a lot of people's first time working with live musicians and like that's the one supreme advantage I've had coming from the classical music world is very familiar with that. But what I what I did at least is you export the click track, of course, and it's musical, it's bending, it's flowing. But I also recorded myself saying rehearsal letters ah, <laughs> and dragging those over. Helpful. So instead of it, yeah, dink, dink, A, dink, 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 B, dink, dink, dink. Okay. And then I would literally, I, I, um, and I, a lot of people like laugh because 
you'd be sitting in the studio and you're listening to the click track too. So I'm in a room with all these other composers and ding, ding, A, A, <laughs> B, seven, you know, whatever. And I'm like yelling this over speakers. But the musicians, I hadn't seen anyone do something like that before. And it takes a little more work because then you're like manipulating the audio or click track. But they seem to really like it because then if they got lost, it's like a nice safety bit. They rehearsal marks. I remember once um, Viola Chan played a funny thing for Beyond the Machine. I had this kind of like funny flute piece. It was kind of like, it's called like flute step. It's basically dubstep, but oh. all made by flute sounds. Uh, and and I and I, I inputted an Easter egg in the click track that would play in her ear. And so I started... There's one part where it accelerates to like 300, 400 BPM and you're not really playing. It's just like the track's going. And I just started like talking. I'm just like, hey, what's <laughs> up? Like, what's going on? <laughs> so every, every performance, it. like during this like super serious, insane part, <laughs> uh, they start laughing because the click track started talking to them. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's such a great yeah. idea. But you, you should do this because people uh, people need help with this. It's a great, it's a great idea. Hey, this is Nathan. You, you, you yeah. groove into this click track you know you, you feel it this. Yeah, like I want music. that I want uh-oh. good job that was almost in tune uh oh uh oh oh no <laughs> we should we should have a whole nother episode on the magic click tracks Trevor that would be I would love to pick your brain on we'll on just some of your click track strategies we'll just have I mean my new click track strategy is to um just do things off the grid <laughs> <laughs> no more click track, no more timing. I'm just like, ah, I'd be like, ah, it's, it was a musical choice. They'd be like, wow, it's a pretty, is this a bad performance? You're going to fix it? No, no, it's a, <laughs> it's a musical choice. It's done. Trust me, bro. Trust me. Uh, no, but that's a super, super cool skill. And like, you're using like um, something else Drew and I have talked about a bunch and with a lot of our recent guests is like, we're kind of very fortunate that the little hobbies, the little extra things we've been focusing on have just become very useful and valuable. In very this time. useful. It's super fortunate. Um, can I can I highlight something for the faking fam too? Who's listening? Like what Nathan really described was he looked at his life. Nathan, do you meditate mm, or do you I journey? Started doing yoga with Christine. Oh, there you go. Does that count? They always yes. saying hokey things like. Let in the opti- optimism in your life today. Mm-hmm. Take these thirty minutes to. You know, oh, anyway, anyways, go ahead. It's, it's woo woo, and it and it's and it's mystical. But there's something really. You said it earlier. The self assessment, self assessment is essential in failure. Like if you fail and then you don't look at why you failed, that failure is gone to waste, and it's not. A, it's a lesson you're not learning. Now, when you're going through your life and you're encountering problems like you encountered. You can also look at it from the lens of maybe I'm not the only one who's ever had this problem and maybe I could create a solution to it. And that's actually one of the principles, probably the only thing I took away from that business class was like, write down 10 pain points you have every morning. And then each one of those is a business that somebody could make. That's it. And you did, and, and I'm not saying you did that, but you, you really innovated with the problem of like, okay, so if I ask people to play this, I send them sheet music. They all play out of tune. They don't play with each other. So I need to make a click track, bro. Like that is so useful. I, I've done so many, like over the quarantine, I've had so many requests for people to do projects with me with no click track. And I've actually started saying, if there's no click track, I'm not bothering. Cause you're just going to keep asking me to send you revisions. 
And <laughs> even on something musical, it kind of goes back to the OG of Box and Box videos. Eric Whitaker, <laughs> what did he do? It's not a click. Send him a video of him conducting it. And so I, I, I try to encourage, like, I have um one student right now, one bassoon student, kind of keeps me in the bassoon bassoon game uh, a little nice. bit. And so, like, his uh, school in L.A. did, that was their holiday concert. And I was, <laughs> I was actually very impressed. I'm like, wow, this teacher's dedicated. You know, it's moving <laughs> around. It's interacting with the music for this this, like, high school performance, high school concert. Kind of like impressive is like people like they're trying to get learn, learn click tracks or doing all these um, really like difficult things. But I'm like, what could be easier than if for these directors or something is just set up the camera. If they're a competent conductor and they're like comfortable with this, set up the camera, hmm. conduct it. And then if you do that in conjunction with the click, it could be so. That would be interesting. So much easier too. Because then you can get like for, for people who have difficulty like setting up how to accurately portray this retardando and this change of tempo and these slight uh, BPM variations. It's just get mm-hmm. in your head. If you can conduct it very clearly, then it's just someone watching a video and playing along. <laughs> Interesting. Maybe I should add myself conducting along with the click. Ah, look at you guys in the Faking Notes podcast, giving the value. Dropping the value. <laughs> Bro, wasn't that your origin story? You got, as a kid, you went and you conducted San Francisco Symphony. Was that, was that? Well, it, it wasn't the San Francisco Symphony, it? but basically what happened. Well, what, well, what happened is my parents, uh, when I was growing up, they had these things called laser discs. Whoa. Like giant DVDs. Freaking lasers. <laughs> yes, laser discs. <laughs> and we had these amazing recordings of, you know, New York Phil, Berlin Phil, Boston Symphony with Seiji Ozawa, mm. got Lenny Bernstein, we had Herbert von Karajan, and they would put these amazing forms of me. It's like my, my form of YouTube, growing mm. up as a little two or three-year-old, watching these videos, and I was so drawn to what I was seeing on the screen, something about the connection between physical movement and sound that I found very fascinating that I would actually take a, ch- go to the kitchen. I had lunch before this podcast. I have a chopstick right here. I take a chopstick and I went back to the TV and I would, you know, conduct along. And so that was wow. sort of my first foray into music. And what ended up happening is I, I was at a concert once with my family and it just so happened that the then uh, assistant conductor of the San Francisco Opera named Sarah Jobin, she was sitting a couple of rows behind me and she saw this little kid in front of her in the next couple of rows. And she said to herself, and, and I was conducting along to the music and she was like, this is not normal. So she introduces <laughs> yeah. herself to my please, parents. Please. And she's like, wow, what's this deal? What's the deal with this kid? And she became my mentor and she uh, helped me conduct my, my first concert at age three of a Mozart variations on Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Mm. And then later at age four, I conducted uh, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, the Bro. first movement. Yeah. Wow. Did you share a video of you, like, conducting along with one of the... You know what? I, 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 I swear, I was like, I swear I watched Over this. quarantine, I just happened. Let me, you guys will get a sneak peek. Give me a sneak peek. Okay, wait, let me see if I can find it, because this is kind of insane. I'm sharing the screen. 
desktop to share sound. Okay, here we go. Okay. Can you- <gasps> I, oh. oh. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. This is so Supreme cuteness. So for our listeners, a chair was just placed on the podium. That's Sarah Joven. Four years old, and he's gonna do the intro. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> My dad's a bad videographer. <laughs> This gives me life. I love how you use your left hand. This is insane. Dude, they can't keep up with you. You're so clear. (laughs) Well, what was interesting, what was interesting, and I really appreciate this, is now that I'm in the orchestra world, if, you know, there's a young person that comes or there's some funny, one time we had um, Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson conducted us. Wow. And, you know, what will often happen is they just say, don't, don't follow the conductor. Just, you know, go along. But what I loved about what Sarah did is she's like, I want you to follow what what what's going on, even if he's slowing down or whatever, because that's the only that's the real feedback right there. So mm-hmm. uh, that's a pretty you know prolific event in my life. So you've heard it here, Nathan Chan. Dude, that is viral. Better than Russell Wilson. You need to post. Where is this? Why doesn't this? Where is where does this exist? Well, that's the thing. I'm trying to be strategic about Got it. Uh, your storytelling. I'm, I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about it. I'm, don't worry. I'm. I've been thinking about it. Good, dude. I'm so inspired. Holy crap! Wow. Crazy. The legend. I don't know where we go from here. Yeah, I know. I was like, I feel like we got to end it here, man. This is great. What is? Yeah, like looking like ahead because uh, yeah, I know we're coming to a close. What's your number one goal you're looking for into the future? Where do you see yourselves in ten years? And like, how are we going to get there? I think in 10 years, I'd like to really see myself become sort of a a very positive example of what it means to be a, a modern musician. I think being very adept in the way we use social media, the way I have an influence on the next generation of musicians, and of course, the the types of projects that I bring out into this world, I want them to be I want them to move the needle of the classical music industry and maybe the the music industry in general. Um, right now, I feel like there's a lot of these sort of nebulous things of how I grew up and what I have in my body and my soul. And I just need to figure out how to really bring that all together in a really effective and strategic way that, that, that can positively impact the world it's it's happened in little instances here and there but i want to figure out how it can happen 
all the time in, in, a, in a really effective way. Mm. 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 Nathan Chan, ladies and gentlemen, that's incredible. I know you'll do it. With the help of you too, of course. <laughs> we all have to do it. Mm-hmm. And we will do it. I, I have confidence. Whenever I talk to you, Drew, and of course, listening to you, Trevor, on the podcast, it's this little extra la- layer of, of thinking that we're attempting to do that's really going to make all the difference, I think. And mm. I want to thank the listeners for being interested in this journey, too. And I hope that each of the listeners is attempting to not settle for what has been the status quo in the classical music world for so many years and are saying to themselves, even though this has been the way, this is not the way it's going to be in the future. And we're going to be the writers of that destiny. Bars. All right, Fakin fam, let's rise up and take the capital. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! <laughs> oh God! That's where you're. That's where you're going with that, right, Nathan? We're gonna overthrow the government. <laughs> Edit that shit out. <laughs> <laughs> love you. We Sir, love you, Nathan. Nathan. I'm gonna need to take your podium. I'm yeah. gonna need to take your podium. <laughs> the podium in that video, right? That just the chair I was sitting on. <laughs> Standing I love up. it. Oh, I love you. Thanks again. I love Nathan. both of you. Thank you so much for this wonderful experience. Uh, and uh, we got to bring you back, bro. You'll be back anytime. Till next time, Nate. I want to hit the executive platinum membership. I'm only at the gold <laughs> membership. Yeah, man. Okay. You, you have you have some appearances to do, but we'll get you there. We'll get you there. <laughs> next time, let's talk about. The finances of being musician. Oh, heck yes. Ooh, oh, man. 100%. 100%. And instead of it called faking notes, it's going to be a subgenre. It's going to be called making notes. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Making notes. Making notes. <laughs> <laughs> the branding genius has spoken. <laughs> Nathan Chan, thank you. Fake the notes, but make the notes. <laughs> okay, sorry. Let me. I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you close. Oh man! Till next time, man. And make sure to share it with a friend. Like we're trying to grow this family, and reach out to us. We love hearing from you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, be sure to follow Nathan Chan at Nathan Chan Cello on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, he's a wonderful person. And you want to stay connected to him. Also, if you found this episode valuable, please give us five stars and, and drop a review. The reviews are oxygen. They tell us how we can improve and they give us a little bit of encouragement to keep it coming. Share it with a friend. Thanks again for listening. Follow Nathan and we look forward to Uh, dropping some more awesome episodes with awesome guests in the future.